and welcome. This is Wealth Talk. It's Friday, September the fourth. I'm John, and with me today is Simon. Now, when it comes to investing, are you only investing in property? Are you still doing it the old-fashioned way? Are you applying for a mortgage, then using that to buy property for rental income and capital gain? But are you actually missing out by not looking beyond that? Are you missing out by not diversifying? Well, this is what we'll be talking about today: how to diversify and grow your wealth by investing in property in a different way, a more creative way. Now, before we begin, a disclaimer: this is just a general discussion. This is not personalized financial advice. Okay, Simon, let's get started. Here are some facts and figures. Over seventy percent of New Zealand's wealth is locked up in property. That's huge, especially when we compare it with other countries. In Australia, the level of property investment is forty-nine percent. In the United States, it is twenty-nine percent. Why do you think there's such a discrepancy here, Simon? Why are Kiwis so addicted to property? <laughs> well, when it comes to investing, I think the first Question: People ask, "Or what are my options?" A、uh, similar question to what I ask on a Saturday morning: Who, what, and where? And when you look at the share market in New Zealand, it's quite thin. A lot of people have bad memories from the 1987 crash, which affected this country much more than others. When you had、uh, many gung ho companies with dubious business models selling for PE ratios of 50 or 60. So once you start discounting the share market and you have a small and thin share market, one option that comes to the fore very quickly is property. The other issue in this country is tax treatment over many years has favoured property investment. So you can, for example, claim repairs and maintenance, and even the interest on your mortgage. So, in other words, the government is actually helping you leverage this investment through favourable tax treatment. That is slowly starting to change with some of the the ring fencing that we're seeing, and also、uh, you know the bright line test and some of those moves to actually stop property speculation. But you can see how far the addiction has gone. As as you you mentioned, it is an addiction. And what's happened is, you know, this whole situation has pushed home prices in New Zealand to ridiculous levels. They're they're seriously unaffordable, and it's also pushed household debt,、uh, in many cases, to dangerous levels. So, you know, the last number I saw on this was a household debt to GDP ratio of ninety four percent, one of the highest in the developed world. And what that actually means is many households are in a financial straitjacket, and when there's been a, a disaster like COVID nineteen, it can be much harder to recover and bounce back if you're carrying a lot of debt. What it means for the financial sector of New Zealand is we become dependent on holding up that seventy percent of our wealth. We 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 have a vested interest in maintaining the status quo of very very high house prices, because were they to fall, you'd suddenly have a huge amount of debt that's that's impacted. 
Um, I think the sad part of that equation is our home ownership rates are falling very fast. You know, when I was a boy, most people owned their own home. Now I believe we've, we're falling below two thirds of, of people owning their home. And that's going to have wider social implications. You know, we hope for some, some leadership, some leadership from, uh, from politicians, but they too often own uh, rental properties and don't always understand how investing works. Yes, that's right, Simon. We have extremely high debt levels which is why we are in a financial straitjacket. And as you mentioned, there is a political aspect to it. There is a status quo. And of course, we can't overlook the fact that there are cultural and psychological reasons for jumping into property. It's FOMO, isn't it? F-O-M-O, which stands for fear of missing out. People are doing it because, well, everyone else seems to be doing it. But buying a property and renting it out does have a negative side to it, doesn't it, Simon? Day-to-day issues. Well, that's right. And it, it does get to the point where so many people have gone into an asset class that, you know, maybe you are best actually to, to miss out in, in some cases. Uh, so, look, I, I started as a landlord in 2006 when I had my first rental property and the last one I, I owned was in 2017. And what I found over that time is not only were you doing all the normal work of a landlord, maintaining the property, uh, trying to keep the tenant happy, of course, tenants themselves vary a lot, but the amount of compliance on your job constantly was increasing. So there were new things that had come in during my last rental property. I had to consider the, the heating the insulation, uh, we had to have an asbestos test. Uh, in terms of insurance, we needed to, to drug test now as well. Uh, so there was just so many, so many rules, so many requirements, uh, particularly for an older house. It felt as though you were running a small hotel, but getting none of the return. So the more you talk to other property investors, I mean, in, unless they've got kind of multiple dwelling situations where there's a high yield or they're perhaps, you know, out of the main centres, most people seem to just be doing it for the for the capital gain. You know, you're not really going to get an adequate yield to um, recover your time or get a meaningful return on your investment. So for that capital gain to keep going, you've got to have this imbalance of demand and supply where, you know, there's there's not enough homes. There's a requirement for that situation to keep going for, for capital gain to continue. And part of the reason that it is has occurred in this country, we've had constantly rising home prices is due to structural problems in the building industry. Land is often locked up. Builders typically build five, six, seven homes a year, and they're not able to ramp up to some of the demand that we've had, particularly from from migration. You know, governments in this country are petrified that we won't be able to keep population growth going, and that we'll we'll age. Um, and you know, maybe that's there, there's a concern around that. But you've got to have the homes for people. I mean, I certainly remember when I was in in France. Yeah, you know, there were many very desirable villages which had aging populations 
and uh, to attract more younger people to come to the area, uh, councils were able to release land. I remember one particular case, the, the land was, uh, was on a lake. It was quite a beautiful setting. And you could buy quite large sections there for 10,000 euros. And there were plenty, plenty of building companies able to help you build affordable homes. So look, um, any market and any asset, the value of it can change very quickly depending on supply and demand. And I think people should be very wary of that when you're in a concentrated market like housing. Yes, that's right, Simon. It is a concentrated market, isn't it? We are seeing structural problems. Land is locked up. Also, rental property is a lot of work. It is a lot of work. So here's the bottom line. As investors, we are always looking for value, growth and income. And they could actually be a more creative way to achieve that than just taking up another mortgage and buying another rental property. I mean, right now, I'm looking at one of our top performing stock picks. It is a property stock. As part of our Lifetime Wealth Investor Research Service, we have been watching this stock very closely. And since March, we have seen it rise by 70%. That's a 70% gain in just over five months. Now, past performance is not an indicator of future performance. But Simon, just based on this, why do you think investing in property stocks is a positive way to build and protect wealth? Well, I do like property, as you can probably tell. Mm-hmm. But one of the problems with just investing in in houses or even small commercial properties on your own, I mean, not through a company, not in the stock market, is that it's really competitive. I mean, there are loads of people looking to buy homes under a million dollars. There are loads of people looking to buy small commercial premises for under two or three million dollars. So essentially, because of the competition, you're not going to get a good deal. Whereas when you come to the stock market, there are plenty of companies, particularly real estate investment trusts, which have huge portfolios of of quality property. I mean, the one you mentioned where we had that significant rise from March through to now, and their specialist property portfolio in Australia there is is over a billion dollars. So you've got really good diversification and you've also got scale. You're investing in an opportunity with, with scale that's that's leveraged and you know they have professional people there managing the many tenancies. Now what can happen in that share market situation is because you know the market is also moving on fear and greed and the surrounding events. What actually happened there and and why we were able to achieve that 70% capital gain in quite a short period of time was simply in March, uh, the share market was petrified of coronavirus and the impact that that would have. And when you have such a situation, you have a huge sell-off. It's almost, you know, the baby's thrown out with the bathwater. And what that meant for us is that business, which owned over a billion dollars of of quality property, mostly in uh, Sydney, Melbourne and Auckland, is that we were able to get into that property at a very significant discount. So if we looked at the price to book ratio on that share, you know, there was about a 40% discount there in March and uh, with all those properties sitting on the balance sheet. So that seemed to me a much more attractive way 
to make a property investment in the public market. Because, of course, if you went to the owner of those properties you know, here in Auckland, you're not going to get a 40% discount because you're looking at it singularly. But on the share market, those kinds of opportunities from time to time are, are possible. Also in that real estate investment trust, that, that REIT structure, uh, those businesses are required to pay out in the form of dividends uh, the rent they get. So often, you know, you're, you're getting a pretty good yield along the way. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's, that's why I, I favour that, that method of, of getting into property through the share market. And, of course, you don't have all that management, John, that goes with, mm. with running a property. You simply need to manage you know, purchasing the, the, the stock and, and monitoring that rather than doing all that work that goes into being a residential or commercial landlord. Yes, that is right, Simon. Investing in the stock market does mean that you are investing in scale with leverage you are also enjoying the benefits of professional management. Now, you can compare that to a traditional mortgage situation. You can't buy 1% of a house. You can't buy 10% of a house. It's usually all or nothing. But the stock market works a bit differently, isn't it? It allows you to diversify beyond residential property. You can explore industrial property. You can explore commercial property. Also, you can explore property in different places, different markets, different countries. Why do you think diversification is so important, Simon? Uh, look, I think diversification is one of the most important things. I mean, every day in life we, we deal with, with risk. And here in Auckland, I mean, there's always that small risk that you know, we're, on, we're in a volcanic field here. And while the risk is so small, I mean, we do have civil defence arrangements and we do talk about the potential need to evacuate upwards of 400,000 people. Now, if all your assets were in a few Auckland homes, perhaps one you're living in and another couple that you're renting out, if that catastrophe were to hit this region, your wealth would be smashed at least for a period of time. So there's huge attraction in being able to diversify into publicly listed companies in Australia, in the UK, in the United States. So in that sort of event, your wealth is protected. You know, a, a volcanic eruption in Auckland is, is not going to affect your wealth sitting in London. And I think that's the very powerful thing with, with diversification. You know, you, you never know what sort of bad luck is going to come in this this world. And it's the old adage of not putting all your eggs in, in, in one basket, actually having many good quality baskets spread around the place and being resilient and, and versatile and, and certainly feeling confident in the way that you've invested because of that. Thank you, Simon. Those are very good insights on diversification. It's so important to have a margin of safety, isn't it? Now, dear listeners, of course, some of you already belong to our Lifetime Wealth Investor Program. Since July 2019, you have benefited hugely from our research on global stocks. We have shown you some of the most exciting trends in property, and not just property. We've shown you trends in infrastructure, pharmaceuticals, mining, and right now, 
Our top three stock positions under monitoring have experienced gains of 262%, 70%, and 40%. If this sounds like something you can't afford to miss out on, I really recommend that you take a closer look at Lifetime Wealth Investor. Go to our website, wealthmorning.com, and click on Lifetime Wealth Investor. And if you feel you urgently need to discover value, growth, and income, I encourage you to reach out to us. You can chat live with us, you can email us, you can even give us a call. We will be there for you. Okay, Simon, we're wrapping up now. Thank you so much for the great conversation. We'll catch up again soon.